I don't know about you, but um, I've gotten quite a, a bit more emails than I normally do in the season, invading uh, my personal email space, my inbox. Uh, do you guys get that? I've gotten more ads uh, from Bed Bath & Beyond than items they carry in a store, and that's a lot. Uh, and and uh, places I've never shopped, I, I'm getting emails from. Just one, I, I can open my email almost every half an hour, and there's a whole new slew of of ads that are coming. And I and I feel like this is my inbox. How are people getting in? And it's uh, becoming more scary. And you know, sometimes you'll go and look for a hammer at Home Depot online, and then all of a sudden you're getting a lot of ads for hammers. It's, it's someone is watching us. And I feel like they're getting up in our space. Do you ever, do you ever uh, worry about that? It, it's, uh, it's a culture that we live in that we like our space. I, I don't know if you've ever been outside the country. Many of you probably have. But uh, our, our uh, uh, privacy here in America has become increasingly more important to us. When you go to different countries like Latin America, I've been uh, to Latin America a, a number of times, and uh, the first time I went, I traveled with a guy who really knew the culture, had lived there a number of years. And he said, let me tell you, before you go, there's, they think quite differently about time and space. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, they're not so uptight about, you know, getting there on time and church service just kind of organically begins. And it's like, oh, I guess we've begun. And that's the way it is. And, and space is quite a bit different there. Um, you know, we, there's just an unspoken distance you like from a person when you're talking to them. But some cultures, they're like, and you just find yourself keep backing up and they just keep coming at you because that's what they're used to. I remember uh, growing up in our house. My house growing up was built in 1922. Every single house on my block had a front porch and a swing. And we would go out, and you know what we would do? We'd swing, and we'd, we'd wave at the neighbors, and they'd, they'd come by. We knew all their names. Now, I don't know many houses with a front porch. They're all in the back. And we grow, including me, I've, we've got some pretty big shrubs out there. And my neighbor has, it's like we're having a shrub competition. They're up to like six foot because we don't want to see each other. Uh, we're, we're more private. We, we value the space that we have. So when people come invading our space, it's a little challenging, especially when it's sudden. If there's somebody that just jumps in your space all of a sudden and invades you, it, it kind of throws us off. In fact, I was watching this newsreel this week. And it was uh, a series of uh, bloopers of newscast people, uh, news uh, announcers, and uh, they were being invaded when they're trying to do their business. They're trying to announce something, a sporting event or whatnot, you'll see. And uh, it's just amazing uh, the shock that happens when their space is invaded. Take, take a look at this. He's out there with a kid like Cameron Robinson. and what? <laughs> Auditors last year found the state low. Nice to see you. <laughs> A quarter million people attending are safe. It's affected so many people from those Oakland parents uh, up to the strangers. Linda Carson, ABC7, would you not eat my pants? Ah! <laughs> but any nor'easter grinds up the sand. And Carville. And rebuilt from the ground up. I think as of right now, listening to all of the fans and uh, fans behind me, um, 
they don't uh, really care about that at this point. Not showing any rain in southwest Florida. It is showing Jeff Butera, though. At the location where he dropped his police on the deck. Go ahead. I'm not going to get in trouble. It worked in practice. Like <laughs> it reminds me of this time my family and I, I think we were in North Carolina, we checked into this, this uh, hotel. And the problem was they double booked the hotel. In fact, they double booked our room. So we're in the bed. We got our jammies on. We're nestled down. And all of a sudden, this guy just uses his key, bolts right into the room. And we're like, ha! Ah! And he's like, ha! Ah! And we were like, ha! Ah! We were just freaked out because we were, this is our space. We paid for this space. And he was, he was thinking that too. And I, and I was thinking of all these things. And, and it reminds me that time after time after time after time in the Bible, God has a way of invading people's space when they least expect it. You know, Moses was 40 years in the back of the, of the desert, minding his own business, being a herder. And God shows up. So I'm about to turn your life upside down. He stepped into the world of Moses when Moses didn't necessarily ask for it. I'm thinking about Abraham who was enjoying his retirement. He was ready, probably set for life. He was had AARP, and uh, he, uh, you know, doing the early bird special, and he was he was coasting along. He was enjoying it, and God rings his doorbell and says, "I'm going to change your life. I'd like to invade your world a bit." I think of Jacob, who was running from his brother Esau because Esau wanted to kill him, and Jacob was like, "That's fine. I'll just live the rest of my life on the run." I don't have to ever see him again. And then God came a knocking and said, I'm invading your space. I'm going to, I'm going to change your world and turn it upside down. This happens over and over in the scripture. And the reason is that God and any of these folks that I've mentioned, God was not at, at, at ease with letting their lives go on as normal. They weren't living bad lives. Moses wasn't a bad person. He was doing his business. Abraham wasn't a a bad guy. In fact, he was a very good man. But God wanted more. He wanted, as we've been talking about here at 360 for the last couple of months, God wanted to advance a story through them. God didn't want to look at, at, at Moses and say, that's great. You'll just be a professional herder the rest of your life. And uh, you just make a living and then die and uh, leave stuff to your, to your children. And then we'll just move on. God, I'm, uh, God would say, I'm not at ease with that. I need to step into your world to turn it upside down because I love you enough to give you purpose and to advance a story through you. There are times where it's just not individuals, but collectively. There are times where God said, I must step into the scenario uh, uh, and change things up. You might remember the story of Noah. Things have had gotten so out of hand. We're told actually in the New Testament, and we're given a post game about Noah, and we're told that the, uh, the, the earth had gone violent. I mean, there was so much violence that God says, I've got to step in. I must do something. I've got to intervene. I've got to move down in the scenario. I'm thinking of the nation of Israel when they were under the oppression of Egypt for hundreds of years. And they kept calling out to God. God said, I must step in. I must step into the world. I must invade their space because I can't just let things go on like this. There came a time in history where religion ruled and and people 
Israelites began to believe that if they were good enough, if they obeyed the rules and all the regulations, if perhaps they could work up from a B minus to a B to a B plus, because nobody's perfect, nobody's going to get an A plus, and if they could do it just good enough, then they could reach high and strong enough to reach to God and somehow be right enough with God. And God said, you can never do it. I'm perfect. You can't reach high enough or hard enough or strong enough. And there, there came this point in history where God says, I can't take it no more. As we, we've talked about Popeye, I can't stand it no more. I must intervene. And tonight we're going to look at the heart of this because this is exactly where God found the human race. This is the heart of the Christmas story. It's not just a story of a cradle and a baby. It's a story of humanity stuck in a place that God was not at ease leaving it as it was. So I've, I've created for you tonight some icons because I believe that we learn better and remember better by pictures. There are times in the world, like with Noah, like with the nation of Israel, like with all of humanity, that, that we find ourselves in a place that's pregnant with helplessness. That it's gotten to the place that's just right on the verge like the nation of Israel. That can't, God, please, we can't take it anymore. Like Gideon, when the Midianites, the enemy, had gotten so large that they were hiding in caves. And like, God, we can't take it no more. There are probably times in your own life. I know I've had these times in my own life where I'm like, God, please, I'm right on the brink. I feel pregnant with helplessness. Like it's just going to burst out. And God, I'm asking you. If you would step into my world. There are times where I didn't even ask God to step into my world. And he's ringing my doorbell because he sees something that I can't. This is exactly the setting, the backdrop of the Christmas story. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. We get a commentary on the Christmas story. In fact, as I was meditating on this verse, I thought this this would make a good mission statement for God. It's kind of, if he were to say, here's what I'm all about. Here's what the Christmas story is all about. And, and so he said, I'm looking at this. And in this scenario, I'm looking at people trying to reach me by being good enough. Have you ever done it? I know I have. Even, even after I've come to faith in Christ, there are times where I'm like, oh, I just got to be good enough for God. And God's like, we just give it up. Let me step into your world rather than you trying to reach higher and higher and higher. I need to get into your world. So God's solution to this whole dilemma that when the, when the world was pregnant with helplessness, his solution begins like this in Galatians chapter 4. We read these words. But when the time had fully come that there could be nothing else done, God sent his son born of a woman. He had to invade the space. Some people are like, well, I wonder, you know, what was his purpose in coming? Was it just to get to know us? Was it just to get in our business? Was it to invade our cyberspace, so to speak? Was it to, to peek through my hedges and my back porch? God had a much different plan when he came. He said, I'm coming for a purpose. And the next verse tells us what that is. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman to redeem them that were under 
the law. See, the word redeem means rescue. And when someone is rescued, it indicates that they can't rescue themselves. They're stuck in that place. In fact, I saw this picture from Switzerland this past week. And uh, it, I'm like, well, there's a perfect picture of how the world was right there. There it is. I have been in that spot. Have you? Or something similar. Where I might be slightly embarrassed. I may be very frustrated. I may be nervous. But I am convinced that this, I'm not getting out. Someone else is going to have to help me. And when, the, and when humanity, when we as human beings come to that place, it is the healthiest of all places that you can ever find yourself. Because as Americans, we're very self-sufficient. We believe that we can do it. We can become good enough. We can be nice enough. We're not too bad of people and all that. And we can very much overlook the very simple truth that we're finding that, that in this world, it is God who has to redeem us, has to rescue us because we cannot do it on our own. See, back in the day, in this, in this setting, they really believed that the, the law, as they call it, the rules, the regulations, getting it right, that could actually get them to where they were going. That could actually save them. That could actually make them right enough for heaven. But we're told very clearly in the Bible in Romans chapter 8, for what the law was powerless to do. The rules, the regulations, trying to be good enough, powerless to lift us out. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. I'm sure most of you know that when Christ came, He redeemed us by becoming sin Himself. In other words... All of us are imperfect. All of us have those uh, places in our life that the Bible calls sin. And we are in a situation that we can't bathe enough. We can't do it right enough. We can't do all those things. And Christ says, I am going to pay the penalty for you. He has become our personal sin bearer. God put all of our sin on the shoulders of his son so that when we trust in Him, say, I can't do it on my own. I'm trusting in you, God. I'm trusting in you, Christ, for what you've done. And I'm asking you that you apply that sacrifice to my life so that I'm totally forgiven. Without any effort on my part, I simply ask when God wants to invade my space, God, please step into my world. And when we embrace that truth, when we embrace Christ, He does something different, not just to bring us out, but to do something far different. So let's review. We come to the point of history where God, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son born of a woman. He took us out of the place where we were stuck to redeem them that were under the law. But then the third and final part of God's mission statement is absolutely profoundly beautiful. And at this part that allows us to move ahead because if God would have said, hey, all I'm doing is, is picking you up out of the hole. All I'm doing is saving you. Then life, we wouldn't, we would still be in the same place. We wouldn't have the ability or the capacity to even move and have rhythm with God, to, to walk with Him. So God says, here's what I'm planning to do, to come down to you, to rescue you 
And then the third part of his mission statement, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That means that God says, I'm not only rescuing you, but you are going to become my child. You're going to become my son, my daughter. And as my son or daughter, just like my two sons sitting over there, they have some rights that you don't. They can spend the night at my house. You can't. They can eat from my refrigerator. Okay, you, you could, but you probably wouldn't want what's in there. But they have certain rights because they are part of my family. They can come and go in my home because they're part of my family. What God is saying is, look, you're in a scenario where you can't help yourself. So I'm coming down to you. I'm stepping into your world. I'm not only going to rescue you out of that place, but I'm going to empower you as my son or my daughter so that you can actually live for me and walk with me so that you can advance the story. And that's why you're on earth. That's the heart of the Christmas story. This is why God has called us. It is beautiful when we have a number of people in this church who've adopted a child. It is one of the most selfless, beautiful acts a human can do. I'm always moved when someone fosters a child or adopts a child because what they're saying is I'm stepping into your world. And I'm embracing you and I'm going to take you into my world and your hand and mine and you're going to be part of a family. You see, when God wants to come into our world, he does it because he profoundly loves us. A lot of people freak out when God, when they realize God wants to come in. They think, oh God, he's going to change it up so much and my life is going to be miserable and he's going to take this from me and take that from me and, and, and we freak out. So when God, he comes often and, and it's very simple. It's very simple when God comes, but there's, there's part of us like, I don't know. I've talked to so many people over the years when you're, hey, have you considered God? Have you thought about how God might play a, a, a part in the mix of your life? Ah, because it's religion and, and it's all those bad things and they're horrible things. And I hate religion. I hate religion. I hate the, all, all, all the trappings of religion. And unfortunately, God often gets shadowed by the stupidity of us as human beings. Does he not? If you hang around me long enough, you think, I don't know if God's actually follow God because I'm stupid. I'm a moron. I'll do stupid things. I do stupid things. Many people sitting here are actually nodding their head very vigorously. It's kind of bothering me. But, uh, but God comes and he begins just to very simply, but we freak out. I remember... Um, just a, about a month ago, uh, my sleep ha- patterns are really, really crazy. I have been up since 3.30 a.m. this morning. It, it's nutty. And uh, so I may not make it to the end here. You just tag team if I fall over. But I, I'm not, it, it's just uh, It's just a weird sleep pattern. But so often I, I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and there's nothing, you know, there's no one to talk to. If anyone else has this problem, I like to exchange phone numbers. And we could call each other at 3 in the morning because there's not a lot of people to talk to. So I'll get on my my uh, my computer and start working. But around 5 o'clock, I start getting a little tired. So instead of waking my wife up, I'll just kind of stretch out on the couch a little bit. 
So uh, last month I, I stretched out on the couch and it was dark. It was about 5 a.m. by that time. And, uh, and so one of my boys came out of their bedroom. They came out for an SOS. I, I don't know what was going on. I can't remember. It was like a sore throat, needed a throat uh, cough drop, or they were having a leg cramp or a headache. So, something was going on. And they were heading right for the bedroom for mom. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll help save the day here and, uh, you know, kind of ward them off from the bedroom because that's not going to go real well at five in the morning. And so I'm laying there on the couch, uh, but they didn't know I was laying there. He didn't know I was laying there. So you know where I'm going, right? So he, he's, you know, he's kind of sneaking by me. And I just, I said one word and I said it with compassion. Hey. Ah! And you know what I did? Ah! I did it right back. He freaked me out. I freaked him out. He freaked me out. And it was just a hey. You see, I think there are times where God, he just comes to us and he, and he says, hey. You see, what that, what the, I meant by that is, hey, can I help you? That's what it meant. I didn't get to the, can I help you part because he started screaming before I got to that. You know, a, there was like a hey, comma. And then he started screaming, but I, I couldn't get past the comma. God would say, sometimes I can't get past the comma because you're so freaked out. You see, I want to step into your world. That's the heart of the Christmas story. I want you to allow me to invade your space a little bit. But I can't get past the hey, comma. I don't know. I know what that's about. You just want this and that. And God's like, dude, I am here to save you, to rescue you. But more than that, I feel like it's an infomercial. But wait, there's more. If you order now, I'll make you my child. And you have certain rights and certain abilities and certain power as my child because I'll start advancing my story through you. You see, the Christmas story, it's odd. There are a lot of people freaking out in the Christmas story. I know I, I often read scripture from a, from a strange angle, but listen to this. The angel came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to have a, a, a baby, and I know that you're a virgin. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, watch the, the, the words that are used. Mary was not mildly troubled. She was greatly troubled, as any of you females would be like, what? And God was saying, hey, I want to invade your world, your space, because there is a story that I want to advance through you. Then, as you might know, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, he also got a visit from heaven. The angel said, Zechariah, I'm going to change your world. I'm going to invade your space. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled. And look at this, was gripped with fear. There are people who are actually Gripped with fear at the thought of God coming up into their back porch. And the shepherds, God appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You think they're like, wow, this is awesome. Watch. And they were freaked out. They were terrified. And all God is saying, let me in because this is going to be a great thing. Maybe not an easy thing, but it's going to be a great thing. God never promises easy. He always promises great. Always. Maybe it's you that's like, ah, God, I, I'm giving you the stiff arm. Maybe you're, maybe you're just like one of these and, and 
the reality is this. We do have the capacity to live the rest of our life and give God the stiff arm. We can live and die with a stiff arm towards God. The Christmas story is God stepping into our world saying, Hey, I'd like to be a part. But you can say, I'd like you to stop right there at the comma. Because you're freaking me out. No thanks. You see, it happened to Christ. John chapter 1 verse 11. Christ came to that which was his own, his own people. But his own people did not receive them. No thank you. I have no part of that. See, God steps into our world because he profoundly loves us. And I'm telling you, the number of people I've spoken to over the years, I'm like, oh, no, you think it's a bad thing. It's a great thing because his love for you is absolutely beyond your imagination. In other words, you could say it this for the, this way. He's for you. He's not against you. He was for you before you were born. As soon as you took your first breath, we're told in Psalm 139, he was for you. Every thought you have, he's for you. Every breath you have, he's for you. The Christmas story is God sending his son through a woman saying, I'm for you. I'm here for you. That's the power of the Christmas story. It is not just a baby in a manger. One more thing before we, before I let you go tonight. All through the New Testament, we're given a high challenge for those of us that follow Christ. And the challenge is this. Imitate me, God would say. Christ would say, imitate me. You remember when he was washing the feet of the disciples and as soon as he finished, as soon as he dried off their feet, as soon as he dried off the last pair of feet, he said these words. As I have done for you, I'm expecting that you're going to do for other people. As I have loved you, just like I've loved you, I'm expecting that you will love other people. Stepping into another person's world requires selflessness. So the Christmas story doesn't only remind us that God stepped into our world, but it is a challenge in the Christmas story that we are supposed to step into the world of somebody else. Maybe just one person. Maybe there's just one person around you that is pregnant in full uh, pregnancy with helplessness. Or maybe they're not even on the brink of, of losing it. But you know you can sense in their life that deep down they really wished that someone would invade their space. We live in such a private world. We're like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. How you doing? Great. I'm good. But deep down, people would, would just hope that someone would say one word. Hey. Hey. How you doing? How you really doing? Do you feel like you're stuck? Hey, maybe I can help with that. Do you feel like you're orphaned by the world? Do you know that there's a God who would embrace you, whatever your problems might be? 
Are you feeling alone? We realize how many people in this busy culture are so absolutely lonely, waiting for one voice to send a Christmas message. Hey, hey. It's an act of selflessness, but it's what we're called to. Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And here's a guarantee. It's probably not always going to go great, to be honest with you. When you step in people's world and you, you break through their hotel room or come up in their back porch, they may not want you there. They may get a little fussy. They may even like the shepherds or even my son or Zechariah or Mary. Ha! Get a little freaked out on you. In fact, when we, we look in John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness is not understood. It Not everybody will understand it. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter to Christ. Just think about it. If he were looking on the humanity in that moment 2,000 years ago, should I enter the world? Is it pregnant with helplessness yet? Do they realize how helpless and stuck they are? I don't know. Maybe they won't accept me. I'm not going. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Christ standing at the threshold of heaven? Too freaked out because they people would be freaked out. Like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. They like their privacy. I think I'll stay here. But he didn't. Every Christmas I, I think of this beautiful story. You may have heard it before. But it's a story about a mom who was in the kitchen doing some work. She was doing some dishes and whatnot. Her one and a half year old son was in the other room and and uh, he was starting to get around so she put him in a playpen and he was fussing but she was trying to get him used to the playpen and you know as parents we try to get them in a rhythm and and you just can't go and get them out and so you got to let them cry it out a little bit and so she was like just at her wits end and about that time her dad showed up the granddad of the of the boy he said, well, let me help. And so she goes, oh, that, that's, that's awesome. And so she's in the kitchen doing work. And sure enough, her son stopped crying. And so she went into the living room to see what magic he pulled. And, but he pulled her out. He pulled this, the, the child out of the, the playpen. And she says, ah, dad, I'm, I'm trying to get him used to the playpen. You, you can't, you can't do that. You're kind of breaking my rhythm. And I, and all week long, I'm trying to, I said, okay, so granddad, you know, put the, the, the child back in. She went back to the kitchen. Sure enough, the baby starts crying again. And so the baby stopped crying, and she walked back in. Uh, you know, granddads, they cave. Reached in, took the child up. I'm like, dad, you're not helping me out at all here. So she goes back in the kitchen. Sure enough, the baby starts crying again. She's doing her deal, and all of a sudden the baby stops crying, and she goes, I, I, I know what's going on. She walks in the living room, and she's about to say, Dad. And she just saw her father sitting in the playpen. <laughs> you see, Christ heard the cry of humanity and was willing to get in our playpen. This is the message of Christmas. But 
But we must say to him, God, I'm asking you to step into my world. I'm asking. Like a child, I'm crying out to you. You may not be at the bottom rung of the ladder in your life. I wasn't when I asked God to come into my world. I was actually at the top of my game. Top of my profession. Everything going my way was perfect. And yet there was something in me that said, this can't be it. I can't be a herder for the rest of my life. Although I wasn't a herder. I was in my profession. If this is it, if this is what success tastes like and feels like, how come the inside of me is wishing someone would lean into my playpen and say, hey, how you doing? Nobody did. Not until I cried out, God, there's got to be something else. I don't even fully understand it. But I'm asking you to step into my world. The reality of the Christmas story is that some people said, come in. And some people said, get out. And it comes down to a very fundamental choice. A very simple choice. Now there are some, many probably in this room, that are followers of of Christ. The message is a little different for you, but it's the same flavor. Because there are certain areas of our life that we neatly cord off and block off and say, no, I'm good. And I find that God continually sends me the Christmas message. Hey, why? Because I love you. You're my child. And I want to advance the story. And we can't get past this. You've got to let me in. And there are sometimes, ah, I'm freaked out. <laughs> and there's sometimes I'm like, okay, God, you can come in. So I leave you with this picture today. I'm thinking, boy, that'd make a good Christmas ornament, wouldn't it? (laughs) God coming down because you can't reach up enough. He pulls you out of wherever you are. And then he says, put your hand in mine and become my child. Would you let him step into your world? Because John reminds us of these words. The word Christ became flesh. And he made his dwelling right in our playpen. Would you allow Christ in? It would be the, the most, if you've, if you've never invited Christ to step into your world, it will be life-changing for you. Don't freak out. He loves you. And he's for you. Would you pray with me? Father, We're grateful, God, for the power of the Christmas story that reminds every single one of us that without you, God, we're completely helpless. Without you, God, there is no way that we can be right enough, good enough, reach high enough, reach strong enough. God, in 
in, in a word, we're, we, we become stuck. And so, God, I pray for those in this room that, that may say, wow, that's exactly my life. And perhaps they have not allowed you to get past the comma. Hey, I pray tonight, God, that by the power of your spirit, you would once again convince us that your love for us is beyond our imagination. That you would not only selflessly come to earth in the form of Christ and rescue us, God, but also make us your son or your daughter. I pray, God, for those who are lonely in the room in this season. I pray, God, for those who have not yet reached out to you, who have not invited you to step into the world. And I, I would pray, as we're about to sing, God, that you would arise in their life, that you, would, that you would convince them that you are a God who loves and a God who saves. And I pray, God, for those of us that follow you, that we might truly imitate who you are and not keep this wonderful, life-changing message to ourselves. But we would, in selflessness, like Christ, be willing to step into the world of someone else, even at the risk of being rejected, as hard as that is, God. Remind us that it never stopped you. If we're driven by love, if love is our fuel, then it cannot, we cannot be stopped. And so, Father, on this Christmas Eve, may we say to you that we come to adore you, that you alone are worthy because you were hear the prayer of, of a thankful people, God. Thankful that we've been rescued. Thankful that we've been adopted. Thank you, God, that we've been empowered. Thank you that you cared enough to lean over into our personal world, that you, that you saved us and you said to us, hey. And for that, God, we, we worship you and we celebrate you on this Christmas Eve. In the name of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.